Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's right, Danny. And it's been a good good time of year to be in the hospitality world. Yeah. Have you recovered from James Beard Award weekend? Yeah. You never really fully recovered. How many parties did you hit up to? Uh, I didn't hit all the parties. Um, I hit a few. Nice. Yep. Nice. What, what about you? Did, you? did you make it out? Were you, well, we uh, went to one party. Yeah. Rubbing elbows? Bumping elbows with <laughs> Bumping the stars? Elbows, that's right. The Michelin stars? Yeah, a little bit. Nice. It was cool. It was fun to be back in that kind of environment since the pandemic. I feel like no, yeah. nothing on that scale has really happened in the way that it used to. I agree. It, yeah, it did feel like things were starting to return to normal social-wise, yeah. party-wise. Um which I don't know if I'm ready to go back to normal. I think I've grown more antisocial yeah. during the pandemic. I know, yeah. it's a good point. But, yeah. Um, we made it down to uh, the Kasama after party. Congrats to Jeannie and Tim on that. That was a big win for them. Yeah, they, it seems um, like the, they are now kind of officially crowned rock stars in the culinary world. Yeah, I think that, that was a very highly anticipated award. Yeah, um, I and know they, they were... got the nominee last year. Yeah, and they were uh, they were dressed to match. They had these wild tuxedos on. Well, you know, you know, we made the the tuxes, right? I had, actually I had no idea. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we did. Where did you get that? We stuff? did uh, custom tuxes for them. We had them come to the shop, and we had our tailor measure them, did and they, they picked out fabrics and stuff. Okay, so they chose. Did they choose the cut and you know how? Yeah, did, how all, did that all the details. Go? Yeah, so Tim's was uh, double breasted, Jeannie's was single breasted. We did like the green velvet, and then it was. You probably couldn't tell watching it on TV, but it was like a very subtle jacquard, like um, floral pattern on the satin lapels. Oh, and we also cool. did those shirts. Did you notice they had on like those gold chain, um, they had like collar pins. So instead of like hmm. neckwear, I guess technically that's neckwear, but instead of like a tie, they had like the gold chains hanging down. Oh, that's It's sweet. a very baller look. It was very cool. Yeah. Wait, so they come in, they're like, we want these custom custom outfits uh they were no they were at the shop we make merch for them too we did some uh chain stitch shirts for them and some hats for staff and for them to sell wow what's so. the lead time on something like that uh we that was a pretty quick one we turned the uh custom suits around in about two weeks cool is green significant for them for any reason hopefully it represents all the money that'll come in after <laughs> the after winning the award yeah but the, anyway their party was awesome uh it was down at a karaoke bar down in bridgeview and um or sorry, Bridgeport, and um, they had a whole uh, tuna that was carved. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> it was like saw it's like a hundred pound tuna, the size of a table, and it was just carved up and turned into sashimi right there. It's oh my the God. freshest fish I've ever had. And um, that's cool. Yeah, I had I brought a plus one. Uh, Shannon did not join me to this one, so I brought Abe from Meadowlark, and uh, he's a good hang. I had you know nice. it, it had a nice time hanging out, although. At the end of the night, <laughs> Abe pulled an Irish goodbye, also known as a French exit. Yeah. And you know what? He apologized the next day. He's like, hey, sorry. Sorry for bailing. No need to apologize. In my opinion, that's really the only way to leave a party. That's how I always want to leave. I think I, uh, here, I hate to <laughs> start getting preachy again with the public service announcements, but I think that it is okay to do, especially at this age. And I, I'll tell you how I arrived there. Shannon comes, I, have, I come from a small family. Shannon has, is a Southside Irish Beverly family. She has a million aunts and uncles, cousins. So by the time you get to the party and you get a chance to talk to everybody and greet them, it's already time to start saying goodbye to everybody. And when you want to leave or have to leave, 
and you have to say goodbye to 50 people, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah. So I'll do one of two I things. Can't do that. I'll either slip out when no one's looking, or I'll just kind of be like, all right, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Yeah, of course. And, that's then, how you and then just kind of announce the exit and then dip. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Well, changing gears, we have a pretty special guest this week. This was a very good conversation. The first uh, coffee professional that we've had on. I'm surprised we've made it this far without having someone from the coffee community, but I'm glad yeah. that this person was our first person because yeah. uh, he's been a neighbor on Fulton Street uh, next to Stock for a long time, and we've made merch for them, and I drink his coffee every morning. Yeah, it's and true. it was cool to get to hear more about his story and how he's grown that business and to really see the parallels between uh, metric and stock. So. Yeah, for sure. And he kind of talks to us a little bit more about like ethical sourcing and kind of how deep he gets into the relationships with his different growers, which was really uh, enlightening. Yeah, it seems like both on a professional and personal level, he's gotten very thoughtful and intentional with uh, how he operates. And that was really cool to hear about. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Xavier Alexander. definition of independence can be sort of can mean different things to different people and I'm not trying to dog anybody who's got investment because I think that yeah. can be smart if you know how to use it we do not so we started our business on credit cards and just like like whatever we could sell yeah. that was worth anything what was the initial funding from the credit cards you think um I mean it it was I don't know like five grand it's literally all we could afford but the but the sort of our I would say my largest investor was uh, uh, not that I have any investors but I'll get to that the it was I took out a student loan and then I used the living expense funds oh, man. instead of using it for living expense to go to online school I, I applied a 10 grand into buying a coffee roaster so what that did was it, it, it allowed me to have the startup capital to invest into to metric is that um, what a coffee roaster costs today no a coffee roaster is about i mean it, it could range between 30 to 50 grand up to 250 wow. how'd you find one for 10 so it actually wasn't 10 so like that was ten thousand that i had to the coffee roaster. To, to the, yeah that was like Got a it. deposit to the roaster which we sent we wired to germany so wow. um so here's the, the long story short i've uh, so darko and i my business partner started metric officially in 2013, but a year prior to that, we were talking about partnering together, finding a machine, a space. Um, but there was one little problem. We had zero dollars, no money. He had just opened Cafe Streets, which is a cafe in Wicker mm -hmm. Park. Yeah, a, a highly team. regarded. Yes, at the time, I think I now, uh, you know, anyways, uh, that's, <laughs> he's, he sold it. So he yeah. sold yeah. it. But at the time, yeah, he was already sort of like, I've, I've spent every red penny on this business. I don't really have anything I can, you know, put into it just yet, and neither did I. Like I had a, you know, my wife Kirsten and my then my, we only had one kid Julian, um, and what I was making at the time was just not enough to even pay rent. Um, so I didn't have any money. I had nobody to ask. So I, I, we literally sold anything that I, anything we could liquidate that we could sell to just put a down payment on a roaster. We did, hmm. um, which was really 
difficult because being extremely poor and then selling anything of value is, you know, asking my spouse, it's like, trust me, this will work. And, you know, there was no, there was no knowing, but we need, we did it anyways, got the money, sent it to Germany. And, um, we got the machine about eight months later and, uh, we were lucky to get it because as it turns out, the man who sold it to us was a big scam artist and he has taken money from other people. What? And yours is the one that worked out. Yeah. It totally worked out. I mean, well, it's sort of, yeah. So then we literally wired like 25 grand to to Germany and, uh, we later found out like, oh, this guy's a big, you know, whatever. Like he's a hustler. And, uh, we're like, man, we're totally fucked. Like, how are we going to get, our money back and then we talk to lawyers or like there's no way you're gonna get it back yeah, it's, it's international. like international oh my God. yeah so like yeah so then i thought like all right we totally made a tiny huge mistake here like we are <laughs> oh. just like is but is yeah. eight months like a standard lead time for something like that it was supposed to be a month it okay, was like so, we yeah. wired the so money you had ship. seven months of worries. oh my god so yeah seven months pins and needles <laughs> like we're like what is going on and like my partner and i were like what are you like we were just yeah we're freaking out but finally, we got our machine. Um, it was totally in shambles. Um, you know, so it was the machine we wanted. However, it was not refurbished. So we had to refurbish it. Oh, my and, God. And we don't know shit about roasters. I mean, we know it, but we don't. Like, well, we now don't, you do. Now we do. We're pros. So if anybody, <laughs> if anybody out there needs help, call us. Um, but yeah, we, we wow. you know, we got the machine. Um, we fixed it ourselves. We moved over to our Fulton Street location. Now we have been there for 10 years. But, you know, here we are, like, finally got a roaster going. We barely have a, any coffee to roast. And uh, literally, we had no money for rent. You know, like, we have no money to kind of get th- things going. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, luckily, we what we did, well, so this is what I always say. It's like, w- we bought a bag and sold that bag and got two bags. And we sold those two bags and got, got four, four bags. bags. Yeah. So that that's how we built metric. It was literally like brick by brick. Like when you walk around our space, everything's like sort of like from IKEA to you know like just tables we bought on Craigslist, free stuff. Who'd you sell that um, first bag to? We sold well actually. So Cappy Streets, which is my partner Darko's yeah. company, like he was an account because he owns part of metric, half of metric rather, and then we got maybe one or two other accounts, and it was just barely enough to cover our rent um and at the time i had another job so i'm working my wife is working at lula so we were basically sort of not seeing each other ever and we're just trying to be just literally keep our our head above water yeah, not drown yeah and not drown yeah so and take it's, care of julian and take care of julian and that was difficult because i you know was not a i was not the type of individual that I was around children. And here I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a father with a child. I'm like, what do I do with him? What do I, how do I make sure he stays yeah. alive? And, <clears throat> you know, so I had to learn as I went. And thankfully, my wife is a great teacher, you know, a great mother. So I was able to learn a lot from her. Um, but yeah, but it was difficult. It was really, really difficult. I think, you know, we, we find ourselves. Now reflecting ten years in, and it's uh, it's it's hard to really kind of connect with others and identify because when we start talking about our story, it becomes like, oh man, what the fuck? Like I can't believe you would do that. Like who would do that? And we're like, oh, we did it, you know. Um, and I'm I'm not telling people they should do what we did. I definitely don't recommend it. But 
Um, I'm definitely grateful for the hard times. Now I am. I yeah. mean, back then I would have been like... Yeah, if you were still in them, yeah. you might not be so grateful. Oh, yeah. not so much, yeah. But now looking back, I see that they were... They've they've made me into the person I am today. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been humbling, you know? Like just sometimes the ego gets in, ahead of you and you're like, oh man, I'm this like coffee roaster guy. I'm coffee buyer. I travel over the world. I, mm-hmm. you know, do this perform this task that people should, you know, like revere me and like praise me for like, oh, you're the coffee bar. Yeah, and must be nice. Like you have no fucking clue, man. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have no idea. Yeah. And, um, but I don't know, but sometimes it's, uh, I think opportunities like this one are a great sort of platform to look back and also, I don't know, sort of extrapolate these experiences with new people and, yeah. and hopefully, you know, like, I don't know, learn something. At least I'm always learning as I get to reflect. So that's that's kind of what this is. It's like therapy. This yeah. is this a therapy. How much is this? It is, it How is much therapy. is that? We'll send our invoice. Yeah, it's, uh, Please, yeah. yeah. It's pay for what you get out of it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I didn't four realize. Four bags of coffee are the pay. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. That's all I brought. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I didn't realize how similar the start of stock was to metric. Like, not mm. only are we, you know, two blocks away on Fulton, yeah. but we also started 10 years ago without a penny, and we were partnered with a factory in Garfield Park, and we were just cutting up old fabric that had been sitting there for decades, making whatever we could. It was so cheap to make bow ties and ties. So we made mm-hmm. those, we sold those with that money, we bought more fabric, and we actually, the, one of the first events was Jack Green, Danny's brother-in-law, had like a street market. I think it was like the first time the we sold something. Streets. Fashion in the streets. And we had just had like a little booth. It was me, Isle, Jim, I think Jason, Mike were there. And we were just selling stuff and took that money. And, and then we're like, oh, now we can maybe do a shirt. But I look back at that and I'm like, I mean, I was 20, maybe 25, 26 at the time and mm-hmm. no kids or anything. So yeah. my living expenses were almost nothing. But I wonder like, what made me think I could start a business? Like, mm-hmm. Well, you were right. Is it, it well, I don't know. Like, is it arrogance? Like, what do you think it is? What was it in you? Like, did you, do you think that you just had the entrepreneurial spirit? Did you, were you raised by entrepreneurs? What was it that made you think I I have to do this myself? That's an awesome question. I've never really thought about it. Yeah. Like, you know, for, for me, I would say like, it was just a need to have a voice because I worked for a company that also rose, you know, I roasted coffee for them and they were a much bigger company and a great company. So I'll say that. However, who um, was that? Um, Intelligentsia Coffee. Nice. Yeah. Intelligentsia. And, you know, still have friends there. Um, they, they've pioneered, you know, they've been, you know, they're just a, they're a well-known company, not just in the United States, but around the world. And, um, uh, yeah, really grateful for that opportunity and the time there. But uh, for me, being um, it's not just being a, a Latino guy working in a roasting company like you know it's uh, because there's a lot of it's a good mixture of people there. It's just that for myself, I felt like the people that were getting ahead of me or were getting in front on the front of the line in terms of opportunities didn't look like me and they weren't mm. from my background. You know, so like I thought that. I didn't. I never thought it was personal, right? So I never went in like I have a chip on my shoulder because I'm this or I'm I'm not that, you know. Like I just thought like this is clearly something that's much bigger than me, and they're really at that time really weren't interested in like sort of bringing me along to give me the opportunity to step up and show them that I can do the job or other jobs within mm-hmm. the company. So um, so that was one, and the other one was that um, I really. So going back to the voice, I wanted to have my own voice. I want to have my own ideas. Um, 
and, and share them with the world with the hopes that one day um, the sort of the, the income would, would come and hopefully provide for my family in, in, in a way that, um, that I've always dreamt of, you know, because I grew up extremely poor. I was a latchkey kid. I'm, I'm 45 now, but like growing up in a, in a, in a time where single mother dealing with two children and, um, you know, we're basically poor and destitute. And so that was the environment I grew up in. Where and, was this? And this was in Florida. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, it was, and then my, then she married my stepfather. And so there was a lot of abuse, a lot of just neglect there. And, uh, that I think that's what sent me into sort of a tailspin in my early twenties to thirties. Like, I, you know, I just didn't really care about anything other than just living for the now. And then having a child changed all that. So, to your to 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 answer your question, it was definitely when I got married and had a child that it. I, it, I won't say it forced me. I, mm. I, it just really compelled me to grow up. It compelled me to yeah. see the world through a different lens, and. To just dig my heels and invest, like invest in, like I this I believe in this. So when we started Metric, it was basically two guys and our families, and they're watching us go through. You know, we're just evolving, we're learning, we're failing constantly. And the one thing that made us, I, I, I don't I hate to say successful, but what made us. And who we are today is just being consistent. Let's just be here every day. If you're sick, you show up. If you're tired, you show up. If you need to deliver coffee to, you know, Bumblefuck, you're going to go deliver coffee to Bumblefuck because that's like we signed up for it. That's what we got. And that's what we're going to do. And we never changed that, you know, so that like mm -hmm. we always that's still today sort of our the lens by which we operate yeah. uh, and see metrics. So, You're scrappy. Yeah. So, and we're totally we have to be because mm -hmm. we we're not drawing from this, you know, from this like uh, invisible money tree. It's like, oh, or you know, we don't have all these like, yeah, let's let's just like and that's good. It's good that we don't have that because when you have a crutch and and, I, and I'm again just for us having the access to easy money is a crutch. Then it's just like we can always rely and go back to it. So our creativity and our flow and our scrappiness comes from really lack of resources. Like we, and, and, I, and that, that, that application goes back to my, my family. Like mm -hmm. we're just really scrappy. We have to be, you know? So yeah, it definitely makes you smarter. There was a time, I hate to keep drawing parallels yeah. with stock, but it reminds me a lot of our experience yeah. with stock early on. Like we had it in our mind that we could be like this direct to consumer menswear brand and we were like kind of seeing like tech companies as peers. It never really made sense to me, but like we we're going after like institutional money. We're like, hey, we can scale this thing. You know, we could be like bonobos. And like nobody gave us money. And I look back and I'm like, if they had, we would have had no idea what to do with it. We yeah. would have made the yeah. worst decisions. Like mm -hmm. we didn't even know our business at that point. I mean, we also we're a uniform company. We mm -hmm. weren't a uniform company back then, but we were nimble. We were able to kind of roll with the punches. So yeah, I think. I think that um, having funding can be difficult for a business because when you have the resources, when it's easy come, it's easy go as well. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. not spent in a way that's necessarily productive for what the business needs. Absolutely. And I think we see that with the success rate of startups. Yeah. A lot of startups go down. Yeah. 
Totally. And it's just like to have that hanging over your head, you know, like mm-hmm. just like if you fuck up somebody's money and it's like or it's just not. And that that's really where like the, that sense of your voice and autonomy starts to go away, starts to fade when you start making decisions or bad decisions or decisions others wouldn't approve of. And so, you know, that's that's the freedom we get to experience. And by we, I mean, it seems like we get to experience that mm-hmm. because um, because of the decisions we made sort of in the beginning, right. which is to like, let's just hunker down and let's just like work with what we got. So like to to your story about like the ties and having a, like one or two products, like we just had like one coffee mm-hmm. and the next week a customer is like, what else do you got? We got that one coffee for espresso. Like we are roasting <laughs> it darker or we like, you know, just sort of like, this is all we got. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully people understood. They believed in us. They supported us. They would pull up to the front of the warehouse and just give me cash. It's like, I want a bag. And you know, that, that was, uh, we kind of, we would sell out of our trunk, literally. Like I remember it's just like, whatever we had to do, we did. Um, and one story I'm really personally fond of that I'd I'd love to share with you guys. It was, um, do you know Trencherman that's in, that used to be, so that restaurant, like, so that I think when they first launched that we, we, we were doing the coffee program and, uh, I have a really fond memory. Um, well, say fond but as it was actually not a good memory but Mm -hmm. i'll say this on a friday evening my wife's working and i i get a call from the restaurant saying hey we're at a coffee we had brunch tomorrow you need to get here now drop off whatever um drop off some coffee and 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 no problem you got it um but there's a problem i don't have a car and i got my son and my wife's working and so you know got him packed up it was like 7 p.m Put him in the in his little blue, you know, little push cart. Where were you coming we, from? Um, I was coming from Ukrainian village okay. and walked up to Fulton. So you know, with a little kid at seven thirty eight, it's at night. I fire up the roaster, roast the coffee, bag it up. I get him, him and I into the Damon bus, and we go down to Six Corners. And I'm, you know, in in front of his little cart, he's got a little like, you know, like not, not a trunk, but he's got like yeah, I the little a, compartment, yeah. compartment, and that's where the coffee went. <clears throat> And I'm just sort of like going through the restaurant and people drinking and eating. And I'm just like rolling through and navigating through the the (laughs) audience, if you will, to get to the back of the kitchen. And here's an invoice and here's that. And um, I think that if you were to ask them sort of their version, how how they interpreted me walking with a child, they probably would. Nobody probably ever thought about that. But for me, what it did was that it helped. It's always a reminder of where we started and that we when we had the opportunity to make $1, we took it, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, like it was like, yes, we will accept it because that's hospitality. That's like how we connect with people. It's not by turning them away. It's like, well, I'm, I'm off hours, So I don't do this. It's yeah, like, right. no, dude, you, we are going to do it. We're going to serve you. And you know, that's what's up. So I don't know. So that was, that's, yeah, my I tell my son all the time. Remember that when that? He's yeah. Like, nope. Oh, I don't, he's gonna <laughs> he have some remember. good memories. How old is he now? Oh, he's twelve. Has yeah. he had his first cup of coffee yet? Oh yeah, he always goes and he's like, he he stopped calling me daddy like a year ago, which I don't know. You know, I always like, I'm like, I'm your daddy. You know, he's like, Dad, hey Dad. So he's that preteen, <laughs> you know, like drops his voice and uh, and he'll do like ice lattes with a little of a pump of vanilla and he'll swirl it around and do that whole you know like big guy stuff. When like, was his first cup? Um, you know, I mean, when he was a 
a little kid, I mean, I would bring him to Cafe Streets and we would sit there. So, you know, the, my children have been around. They drink coffee, like, I mean, not all the time, but they know the taste of coffee. They love it. Um, coffee is really important to our family um, uh, in, in, in many ways. And, you know, chief among them, like, I make coffee every morning and, you know, mostly for my wife, but sometimes my kid will come and... All three of them. I have a five-year-old, eight, and twelve. Wow! You know, they just like to drink coffee. <clears throat> Are you yeah. weighing it yeah. out like gram scale and everything? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I'm not. You know, sometimes it's not like. Uh, so, being that we're metric and we're always about the metric system and really yeah. measuring everything, because that's how you get better results through measuring. Uh, sometimes, if it's if if I just need to go on the fly, it's like, all right, I know the coffee's good, the water's good. I'm gonna eyeball this, you know, like and. Um, and yeah, and you know, like as I, I'm 45 now, I went through that phase where things were really like I was a little more pious, a lot more like, no, you gotta do this, or don't mm-hmm. put cream in your coffee, don't put sugar in your coffee. Now it's like, just how do you like it? Yeah, yeah. you know, like how do you like it? Are you like yeah. 22 grams, 45 grams? Like, what's the? I mean, I just what's your I, so I do. I mean, if I'm making, so I have a. a so I have Camexes, so I do the pour overs, and or I have the Technoverm, which is the uh, yeah. sorry, um, it's gosh I forget. I think they're from Denmark, maybe Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah. they're like the the Mocha Master. The Mocha Master. Thank yeah. you, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, we have that. Yeah, and they're great. So I I got it as a gift, very kind gift, and um, I make coffee mostly for my wife in the morning, and uh, you know, yeah, it's like. I've, I've definitely like I went through that phase of making coffee. Everything has to be hand brewed, yeah, yeah. to be blooming yeah, in, and yeah. like really dive into it. Now it's like three kids, and the how fast our life is. It's yeah. like hit the button, gotta go. Yeah. Like we're, we're done. So how much coffee yeah. you have in a day? Oh, I don't drink a lot of coffee. Um, you know, a lot of people think being in coffee, it's like oh, you probably drink quite a bit. I, I'll have a espresso. That's, I never start the day without a shot of espresso, and I'll have maybe four to six ounces of coffee. Um, and that's really all I need. I will cup coffee, so the art, the, the, art, the, the art and science of cupping it really requires me to, um, you know, taste through a lot of coffees, but definitely I don't, you know, I don't ingest. Mm-hmm. Um, in doing so, it's not going to be good, you know, like, especially I have tinnitus, so, like, uh, my tinnitus is so, it's exasperated by, by the caffeine, caffeine mm-hmm. and alcohol. Sugar. And, every, and sugar, thank you. And all the things I like. So, basically, yeah, right. it sucks, you know, like, but yeah. I will, I still, I still love wine, I still drink coffee, and I'll Yeah, you get used stuff. to it over time. I got, yeah, the plasticity in the brain yeah. sort of like. It's very annoying. Though. It is really. Do you have it? A uh, little bit. Oh, I'm it's, sorry. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It really sucks. Yeah. It, sorry, you don't I don't want have it. it. Yeah. Sorry. No, yeah, yeah. yeah no tonight is no someday. kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Don't do, don't do I think either. It was from working in the Whistler. Like, it was just being around live music all the time in yes. a tight space. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, what I have is no tonight? idea. Like, how would you find it? in your ear. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like, mine gets better and worse but mm-hmm. it's always there and sometimes i can forget it for periods of time and then i covered a little bit of a shift at heavy feather recently and like it just like came back it's just fucking annoying it is really <laughs> annoying i mean i had a doctor two doctors actually ent's that told me like the severity of my tinnitus is enough to like commit suicide okay i have two of them and i'm like what oh. and i'm you know i'm like yeah. i i mean you know i know that that's obviously that's uh unfortunately part of the human conditions that people 
consider that. And it's unfortunate. For me, it's heartbreaking because I, I hate yeah. to see anybody make that decision. And that's just my personal view. But like when somebody tells me like, you have this condition that people do this stuff to themselves. And I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty. But, but yeah. one thing I, I always have known, and I think Obviously, doctors know this, and certain people know this is the power. Like your brain is so powerful. Yeah, like you said, the plasticity yeah. and mm -hmm. yeah, it, it it can adapt. It yeah, can. sensory adaptation. Is Absolutely, real. yeah, and so that's that's what saved me, I guess. Yeah, you know, like it's kept me here. So yeah. So yours yeah. is the only product I realized in mm -hmm. preparing for this that yours is the only product that I consume every single day. I start awesome. my day Thank with you. coffee, and. It's like, it's, it's something that I connect with my wife on. We just made the switch over to cold brew. So now we're getting, awesome. instead of whole bean, we're getting it ground yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, but when we do in the winter, when we do hot coffee, we have a Cuisinart like grind and brew. And in my mm -hmm. mind, I'm like, yeah, it's fresh ground coffee every day. Thoughts on that. Am I a sucker? No. Let me ask you this. Are you happy? Very. Okay. Oh, so with the coffee? Uh, with, well, not with the coffee, but just yeah. well, let's say no, like when you yeah. drink it. No, I, I love the coffee. It's terrific. And yeah. I do add cream. I don't add sugar. That's totally that's cool. It. Then that's that's what that's like it my should wife. be about. Uh, let me let me say this. So like in in you supporting our small company, knowing perhaps, you know, or knowing our background and knowing the importance of like being able to vote with your dollars you know like especially at a small uh, we're we're neighbors we yeah. have small businesses we yeah. we, we know your, what it takes we make your hats you know you guys make our hats which people love everybody loves Every, you know how many people come to us and like we love the metric hats yeah and i see them that's the most popular merch item i see walking around town that's people in metric hats i see people i was at a restaurant the other like well, not the other day it was like two months ago and i see a guy next to me wearing a hat i'm like this guy you know yeah. like that's so cool i didn't want to <laughs> but i'm not going to be that guy like hey look he's like who the fuck are you no, like, just oh, Compliment him and be like, hey, yeah. that's a really great hat. See ya. Good hat. Yeah, man. <laughs> great yeah. Hat. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, they're awesome. So we, we love them. Nice. But yeah, like the, the way I see it is that if you're supporting metric and you're supporting us by voting with your dollars and purchasing our products, like um, ultimately this is not just like helping us stay in business, but also like it helps support our overall mission, which is to source high quality coffees and be... Um, and, and practice full spectrum equity, which for me, full spectrum equity means like we pay the producers a really high premium. Um, in the overall market, you can find coffees of the same quality for much, much cheaper. So like on, on average, people are on the retail and they'll ask us like, why is it so expensive or why do you guys charge this? It's like, well... Um, ultimately, and we produce uh, transparency reports actually. So those are really mm. important for us as also as a B Corp to produce that for the public so that they know where we're spending our money so that ultimately like we can develop this trust with our customers, both wholesale and retail. And, you know, like, yeah, like so that they understand where we're spending the, not just spending the money, but also just being able to have the confidence that we're trying to do something better, you know, yeah. like, and we're not, by all means, like we're still learning, we still have a ways to go, but this is just where we're at now. And we, we know where we want to go and where we want to go is just to continue to prosper in a way that gives back to everyone in the supply chain in a way that is most equitable. And it's not perfect, but that's our, that's our goal. But it's it's always intentional. Achieve. Very yeah. intentional. It's important because I visit these countries and I know that the hardest working people in the chain are the 
growers or yeah. the people growing this coffee have the hardest jobs. And it's unfortunate that many of them have had to abandon coffee farming because it's just not sustainable. It's not equitable, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that there's a, even a bigger conversation to be had about sort of like the, the prices that the market pays are tied to systematic racism. And mm-hmm. that's fucked up, you know? So like, my part can't be like, how, how can I source really high quality coffee so I can make a lot of money and fuck them over? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't yeah. live with that. Like, yeah. that I cannot do. So, you know, like, so our our mission goal and buying program is designed to basically, like, incentivize producers to stay in coffee. You know, to stay and we buy year over year because that's important. I'm sure, like, you guys have clients that you really appreciate because they're coming back. They're really helping your overall mission to stay in business. And and in doing so, the the people that are also part of stock, it's like they... They have work. They have work because you have clients. And that's, I mean, it's it's the same for us. It's a whole ecosystem. It's an ecosystem, exactly. And so we are never lost on our wholesale and retail subscribers, like all the people that are coming through. Like, they support that. That's what they're they're supporting. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. So on the buying side, yeah. what I guess how can you describe the nuances of each country or when you're when you're looking for a new bean like what is the how do you plan these trips what, yeah. what are you looking for have you been to a farm and you're like I don't think so Oh yeah what's what's that process yeah. like I mean, as a buyer a, Yeah that's a great question like I so all of my relationships with you know per, uh, smallholders the, the coffee farmers um, really were born out of meeting a, a really like amazing people in these different countries. So in Colombia, Honduras, Guatemala, and a lot of them are vertically integrated. So they have a, a milling facility and they have an exporting arm and they have, so they, they're, they're really robust companies that have people within the organization that I am, I would say I'm friends with. Some people are like, they're like my brothers. They're like my sisters, you know, like they're family. So for me, like I have the, you know, Outside of my beautiful wife and wonderful children, I have the great pleasure. One of my other sort of like great pleasures in life and is uh, having these people as family, you know, like as my family at origin. So um, we talk quite often through WhatsApp. We we just really bond. And a dear friend of mine, Benjamin Paz, who's an exporter and coffee grower in Honduras, he said it best. He said, you buy from people you like. And I think that applies to most of us in any mm-hmm. capacity, in any business. So I buy from people I like, and I schedule these visits throughout Harvest. So like when Harvest is happening, or soon after it's done, we, uh, by we, either I or somebody else from our team will travel down to, let's say, Honduras, we'll arrive at the airport, go to the mill, you know, a couple hours away, and we just start 
cupping coffees, shaking hands, hugging, going out to, to, to literally a farm dinner, you know, like mm-hmm. you're visiting people at a farm and having food with them and just spending time, you know, like, and that's, that's really the majority of, of, of my trips. I spend about a week, seven to 10 days of just being able to be visiting their farms, looking at their plants, looking at soil, looking at, and also like more importantly, it's just checking in on them to see like, Hey, how are things going? Is the price that we paid last year, is that, is that still sustainable for you today? Yeah. Because that's a really important thing to always consider because, um, you know, I think most of us can relate to, you know, if you're, if you have a business that does shipping, your shipping costs went through the roof, like, you know, a year or two ago, and it's still like, it sucks. And then, um, and the list goes on. There's just multiple things at play that consumers are not always understanding of. It's like, why is it more expensive? Why are you doing this? It's like, those are great questions, Mm -hmm. you know, but we, we, we produce transparency reports to talk about that. But, um, but back to the farm, I, I visit, learn about how things are going. How, what are your, what's your cost of production? That's another really important one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it's, it's a more of a, it's definitely an ongoing theme within coffee for roasters to be involved with producers cost of production because you, or rather I need to understand what, it, it, like what kind of questions can I ask the producer such as, uh, is this price sustainable? What is your cost of production? How much are you paying laborers? That's another thing too. Mm-hmm. Like in within coffee, you have coffee farmers or smallholders, people that own the land, and then you have coffee pickers. Those, you know, like oftentimes are people that are tra- transient. You know, they're not from that town. They're just traveling through and picking coffee at different oh. farms. The challenge with their role, which is really, it's a really important role, is that they're often the least paid people in the supply chain. Like they're, or rather they're the unseen, you know, like part of the workforce, you know, like people don't talk about, even roasters, like always talk about the the farmer and the farmer this, farmer that. But like, what about the people picking the coffee? And by and large, I'm finding that, you know, they're making I mean, like literally like almost nothing per day to pick coffee. Um, and w- I always encourage producers, we work with, I'll pay you more, but please pay them more, you know, but that's the challenging part is that I can't control what they yeah, do. How do you, you spend know? the money? You get that, how do you spend the money? You know, so that's, that's a challenging thing, but it's important to discuss because um, those that that part of the workforce is becoming a little. It's it's a lot of people are basically not no longer wanting to pick coffee, so they have to migrate and come to the United States or go to other countries to find other farming work that's going to mm-hmm. pay them double or more, and which is still poverty, unfortunately. But that's what's happening. So like you have climate change, you have you know like political issues in every country, like, and I'm talking every country, you have like the climate change issue, political issues, um, you know, issues with, uh, as an example, going back to climate, Honduras had a huge um, hurricane, Hurricane Etta, and just completely decimated homes and, you know, fucked up a bunch of farms. And people are still recovering a couple years later. They're still like trying to get their farms back up, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's really hard to be a, a small successful coffee producer yeah it's a lot of things to consider and a lot of things converging that all yeah are affected it's very much so so that but the 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 thing 
we can do is just to pay more for coffee. That's really the, the well, that's not the only solution, but that's the, that's the best thing we can do to ensure that they stay in business. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's... And ensure we, yeah. you're putting your money into a company that does go through the Correct. trouble of doing transparency reports and make sure that that does trickle through. Yes. It's interesting yeah. that uh, I didn't know that most of the um, pickers were uh, transient. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's interesting. They're making the least amount, but they, they're probably the most knowledgeable too, because they're moving from place to place. They're seeing how things are done in different areas. Yeah. So in a way they're specialists as well. They are. Yeah. Absolutely. In a way that maybe, you know, it might be more myopic for, um, yes. one farm to look at their process because they're not seeing how other people are doing it. Yeah. Cross-referencing. It's interesting. I was I just watched this documentary called, uh, Juliet of the herbs. And it's this old woman who, uh, my, my wife, was like, hey, we got to find this thing. It, was, it looked like a public library documentary. It was for like 1998. Nice. But we found it on Vimeo, and uh, and it's and she's talking about like uh, like the healing properties of plants and herbs, and how that information was introduced to the gypsies because they were transient people and mm-hmm. traveling, and as, as a way to spread the word about this. But they kept all that knowledge so insulated, mm-hmm. just within their community. But people are like, oh, these dirty gypsies are coming through town. But it's like, yeah. no, you don't understand. Like, these people have a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. if you take the time to learn from them. Yeah. I- interesting perspective. No, totally. I mean, I one one thing I was actually not uh, one story. Well, I, I'm always seeing story. I mean, it is a story. But, like, so I'll get to it. Um, about two years ago, I was in Colombia, in Nariño, which is in southern Colombia. And I'm with a group of people from the cooperative that we're buying coffee from. And in front of us, there was a a big semi hauling lumber. But above it, there was a family, like literally two small children and a mom and dad. And they're just huddling over. And it was really cold. It was like rather cold for, you know, it was early in the morning. And I'm just like thinking, like, what are those people doing up there? And they're like, oh, they're from Venezuela. A lot of Venezuelan people are migrating and going down to Peru, going to countries that have open borders to, that will accept the the, the migrants. And um, and that that sort of kicked off a whole conversation about like, well, what what what's happening? Like, what's going on? And it's like, well, it's not just Venezuela. You're having like, you know, sort of like this migration patterns with people sort of, like spreading to different countries that will take them and they're finding whatever work they can do and so like in peru specifically like when i was there uh, a lot of venezuelan migrants ended up there and they're just taking over um you know they're taking over jobs from um peruvians you know like and um of course business owners can just they can do that in in a way that it's like well i'm going to pay them half because it's going to be more than whatever they were getting paid before so it's mm-hmm. it's unfortunately systematic um it's awful it's it, i hate to see it but when with regards to coffee it's similar it's like you have people that are, are from colombia or honduras and and a, a small coffee farmer might say like well i'm just going to hire the migrant because they're they literally have nowhere to go they have no money or they do have a shit ton of money but it's worthless so that's like they can't do anything so they'll come mm. pick for 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 nothing and so that really like it really throws the sort of the their ecosystem sort of like it's it's not calibrated it's off kilter and um it it just it's a it's a big challenge um you know and 
Yeah, but going back to that family, I just think about my own family and how, like, you know, like, what if that were us? Like, what if, what if I had to, like, do that just because I need to feed my children? Mm -hmm. So, like, it's, yeah, like, going back to our product, it's just really important to ensure that not, not just for metric, but any company, wherever you're sourcing materials from, especially raw materials or otherwise, to know where it's coming from, to have a certain level of transparency and also understanding your supply chain to know, hopefully, unequivocally, like know that like w whatever you're buying is, you know where it's going. You know that it's not just sort of getting lost in the ether and then, you know, whatever the fat cat gets fatter while everybody else suffers. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if, maybe that doesn't make sense, but <laughs> no, you know, I understand, just like, yeah. that's why I'm so passionate about that. Like I just, I need to know where this is coming from. I, that's why I travel. That's yeah. why I go to these farms and I make sure I speak Spanish, I talk to them, I, I don't listen to somebody else telling me, no, da, 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 da. no, I'm gonna Go talk to, to the them. Source. Yeah. I talk to them and I have their phone number and I gotta know what's up. And that's that's how we buy And coffee. have you found that everybody's so, transparent with you? Like when you say, hey, what are your production costs? What are your workers yes. making? Everyone is willing to share that. For the most part, yeah. the challenge is that there's not like, um, you know, there's not like this, uh, as, as most people could imagine, there's not a lot of financial literacy. And so there's not mm -hmm. a lot of record keeping and data. Um, but I do work with some wonderful people that are doing that sort of work to help smallholders know how to keep a ledger. Like they know how to keep a ledger of like what they're spending and what their costs are so that they don't shoot themselves in the foot and mm -hmm. agree to a price that doesn't work for them. Um, and that that's really awesome because a lot of times you, you're, we're, you know, or I would say historically you're dealing with, um, I mean, most coffee farmers are disenfranchised and they don't have a voice. They don't have a seat at the table. Like they're growing the coffee, they're doing all the work, and it's somebody else who sits down and tells them what's up. Mm -hmm. They tell them, no, you, we're going to pay you this. And they always say yes. Yeah. And um, I've had those conversations with producers and I'm like, let me, let me, let me tell it to you, let me, let me give it to you like this. I'm not coming here to tell you how much I'm going to pay you. I want you to tell me what works for you. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're going to have this relationship because you have a seat at the table, you have a voice. And they often go like, you know, mm -hmm. like they don't know what to do. <laughs> they're like, uh, what? You know, like, uh, you know, I don't, they won't even look at you in the eye because they're just like, they're scared that you're like fucking with them. You know, like, <laughs> it's almost like, are you like, is this guy serious, you know? But especially the way I look, you know, like people, I do kind of, I, don't, I, I won't say scare people, that's not, but I do kind of make some people do a second look. It's like when I walk into a small little village, you know, like yeah. roll in and I just look like this, you know, but um, <laughs> but now it's different. People welcome me, they, they invite me in, they, you know, they will send me photos of their family at graduation, uh, you know, this is happening, that, you know, any life events. That's cool. And that's really beautiful, yeah. It's a little yeah. bit like the work that uh, yeah. Lou Bank is doing with um, agave farmers in Mexico where he's trying to fight against the homogenization of mm -hmm. the agave plant. I guess mm -hmm. there's like 300 different varieties in Mexico, oh, yeah. but is it, what is it, 80% is, what is it, espadine? So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so is yeah. that, is there, tell us about the coffee plant. Yeah. Is, coffee all made the same and it has to do with the region and conditions is it all the same species I, so 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 
we buy so that you most people have heard about arabica and they've heard robusta and robusta mm-hmm. is you know a coffee that is uh um, higher yield uh lower quality so it's not seen as a specialty coffee although there are there have been some you know sort of recent changes in that you know like where historically people like oh robusta is just shitty you know whatever but um I have not tried any Robusta that I thought that was like, wow, this is amazing. However, um, I've heard reports of coffees that have been faring better in the cup. But mostly we're buying Arabica. And then with the species, you have uh, varieties that basically um, you have this tree where you're but not literal tree, but you have like this tree where you basically like you have a, a arabica and it stems off the typica and it stems off the cartura and 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 like wine you have different uh, varieties that have different expressions and um, you could grow a cartura in Colombia and one in Costa Rica and have very different results mm-hmm. based on processing. So in, in coffee, you know you have the cherry and that cherry is picked from the tree. Um, and uh, you always want them ripe, so that's that's going that's going to produce the best flavor. To keep it simply, and from there they will take it over to an area. So it's it's a it's a washing station. is what it's called. Coffee goes into what's called the depulper. Coffee's depulped. That means that the outer skin cascara is yeah. basically like torn off with the plates. Pushes out the actual. You know the the mucilage and the coffee is basically encapsulated in parchment and mucilage, and it, and it, and and from there it's washed and fermented. So that's like the the beauty of it. So you have that one process, and then um, and with the same variety, you could literally just dry that dry it in the husk, and that's a natural. Or you can depulp it and leave the mucilage on, and that's a honey process. So then it's sort of like. In coffee, as I see this in wine, when you see skin contact wines, the orange wines, and you start to see different, um, you know, producers doing different processes, yeah, different to, techniques. Exactly, it's it's it's. I, I would say the same. It's similar to coffee. So, mm-hmm. do you use um, all the different yeah. techniques for your beans? These are all washed. Yeah. So these are all washed processed coffees, uh, but I do have some naturals. I do have some honey processed coffees, and. Generally, the the best way to understand what's happening flavor-wise is just to have a cupping. And a cupping is essentially you're having different samples, and and you're just kind of taking a spoon, slurping, and and, and ingesting that coffee, and and really just letting it tell you what it it has to tell you. It's like, oh, this reminds me of peach. It reminds me of chocolate, or it reminds me of X, Y, Z. And... Um, variety has a big impact in flavor, and so does processing. So, as as our industry keeps growing, which is growing by leaps and bounds, there's more interest in the public in understanding, like, or, or rather, like, looking for coffees that are like, oh, natural, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. What a natural, ooh, like <laughs> wine natural, you know, like, or yeah. honey coffee, ooh, it's got honey coffee, and it's like, well, it's not really honey, you know, but <laughs> it's kind of, but it it is getting people to talk about it, you know, like and. Um, it is offering a different expression of flavor, and uh, and so there's, it's, there's just, there's a lot that goes on to producing one single bag of coffee. A lot of hands, a lot of people, took a lot of people to make that happen, um, but ultimately it's it's about going back to your cuisine art. You take it home, you pop it in, mm-hmm. you add a little bit of milk and sugar, or just milk, and if you're happy, that's that's all those people 
they they put in that work so you could feel the way you yeah. feel. That's our alarm clock is the That's grinding it. of the beans. <laughs> there you morning. go. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's nice. Yeah. And as far yeah. as like the roasting process goes, yeah. at what point did you feel like you were a master oh, roaster? Oh, I'm not. A, yeah, I'm far from. I mean, <laughs> I see people that really know what they're doing and I feel like a, like I feel like a, I'm in an elementary school. Like I don't, you know, but I'm actually not roasting coffee anymore. Our roasting manager, Hara, uh, does all the roasting and um, what's like it makes a yeah. good roaster or a bad roaster i think it's it's really their ability to understand flavor development because you're it's cooking right like we are cooking and we're applying time and temperature to arrive to a certain point where um, coffee experiences mild reactions just as you would experience that if you were cooking a steak any, anything that you're sizzling and you're charring and, you know, like you could char coffee, but we definitely don't do that. We like light roasted coffee, um, some medium, you know, even for espresso, but really just want to make sure that we keep everything that the coffee has to tell us, everything that it has to offer intact without burning those uh, the, the sort of the, those volatile compounds that make up those flavors because there's... Um, um, chemically speaking, there are over 1,200 known aromatic volatile compounds, which your brain and palate can't pick up on most of them, but it can pick up on a small but really important, you know, like, so if we're getting f f a flavor that reminds us of peach, it's because there is a compound within that coffee that has the same chemical structure as like a peach, you know, so then, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's, there's, art science and you know chemistry in coffee and what brings that out is roasting so mm. we are called metric because we do have to so i like you know we're talking about measuring ground coffee and brewing it sometimes like oh, i'll just you know brew it eyeball it but you cannot do that with roasting just like you can't do that with cooking if you're a really reputable restaurant the chef is not just like chopping stuff and like throw it in the pot and mm, leave yeah. it's like that doesn't work or unless it's mindy siegel yeah, yeah. unless it's, yeah there you go i mean but you have to be that good to do it you yeah know? but like we we just have to make sure that we monitor the progress of each batch that is important because if you don't do that you're gonna lack consistency you're not gonna have a good product in the end and ultimately you know, like the customer that's buying it, that's really in love with that profile, it's going to buy it again and go like, what is this? Like, this is garbage, you know, like, and so vigorously cupping, doing quality control, making sure that everything that 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 coffee while it lasts is good from, you know, the beginning to end. That's 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 what we that's our that's what you pay us for. That's mm -hmm. what people pay us for. They pay us to do that. And you know, like, um, if I didn't have the, not just the passion, but if I didn't have the obsession to make sure that every bag is perfect, I think that if like, I would be walking in here and just be like, oh, I don't, like, I, like, I, like, I am a roaster. I am a barista. I'm a, I'm an owner. Right. But I also do, I, I, I've done every job within my company. And you're um, also the consumer. And I'm the consumer. Exactly. So then, so I think about every single person involved and i have to trust the people that are roasting the coffee that are bagging it that are delivering the coffee because that they are not just representing metric they represent a part of me a part of darko a part of uh, my spouse a part of darko's you know they're representing our families they're representing the producers you know like that's really important it's that 
the way that you deliver, the care, the, the love, it has to be palpable. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Now, because I have a coffee maker that grinds the coffee, Mm -hmm. I find that I'm not great at making coffee in a regular coffee maker. So when I'm out at my dad's house and I make coffee, I'm like, is it one tablespoon to each cup? Is it two tablespoons? Is it one and a half? Like, is there a best practice there? And and I know you could say, well, it's whatever makes you happy, but like what, like technically... what is the ratio? You know, the ratio, so I, I use, I go to one to 16 and a half, one to 17. So for every gram of coffee, you use 16. All right, we got to talk 17. metric. Yeah, so like, so, but you, you, but it's good to have a scale. And any, yeah. any kitchen scale will do if you can just go into grams, just weigh that out. So it's like one a, to 16 or one to 17. One to, okay. and, and you really just taste, taste it. So you're like, okay, I didn't like that so much. I'm going to try this. I'm going to down dose or I'm going to up dose. That's the, that's the number one. Mm-hmm. The other one is water. Because ninety nine percent of it is water. Yes. If you're using tap water, and depending on the township where you're at, that's gonna really dictate the end result. So you could have a really good, expensive ass coffee, but then if you're putting in like, you know, like you, you're not really measuring or like you're sort of eyeballing a bunch of it, like where like. As an example, it's like you put two pounds of coffee in only four ounces of water, you're probably not going to get a good cup of coffee out of that. Like, <laughs> it's going to taste like shit, no matter how good the coffee is. So, like, two um, pounds so, to four ounces. Would be pretty I mean, good. you know, some people, some people would be into that. Not, not I. Yeah. But yeah, definitely like having a scale is really important. Um, grinders are really important too because um, so the way the best way I could describe it is like. Um, if you can have sort of a homogenous or, or rather like you're able to have every grind particle be the same size, mm-hmm. you're going to have better extraction. Whereas if you're just like chopping it, like a blade grinder just chops coffee. Yeah, like it the standard you, brawn. You, you can see it. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't get a decent cup of coffee if you're not like super nerdy like i must have this peach flavor it needs to come through it needs to be popping the city needs to be like some people are like that and Mm -hmm. that's awesome but if you're not that like you know like i don't know like if you're not that like i need to have these flavors be popping through i just want it to taste balanced that's me to taste sweet (laughs) i want it natural sweetness i want it to be silky i want it to be little chocolate little this little that then by all means grind it however you can you know like it's just maybe not too too fine and definitely not too coarse Mm -hmm. and you can just keep eyeballing that and just sort of like you know like figure out all right that looks good and kind of go from there but weighing it is important and water is important yeah and so what i use is um we use distilled water and then we use third wave packets so that's a plug for them 
Okay. Um, <laughs> but I mean, they're great. It's basically like mineral, like the sort of like mineral packets you add to your gallon of water, and it's basically like formulated for coffee. Oh, that's nice. And Where so, do you like, get those? Do you online? And I think we sell, we sell them too. Yeah, thirdwavecoffee.com or whatever. But we also sell them. Um, we might we had to rain out, but I'll give you some. If I have some, cool. I'll give you some. Just try it. And I can just put that in my cold brew. Literally, thing, right? You can so, but you have you have to make sure you use distilled yeah, with water. Distilled water. But definitely for cold brew, they actually I think have a cold brew formulation. So they okay. have one for espresso, um, filter, and maybe wow. cold brew. And it's just mineral. It's just they're basically you can have distilled water that strips with. It basically has. It's nothing the private it. has nothing in it, and you remineralize it exactly to the formulation mm. that All coffee right. tastes best. Hmm. And so, like, you're it's night and day. You taste it, and it's like, whoa, that's what? That's what is this? And then you trade. It's like, wow, same coffee, two two different waters. Next and it's level. Just, it's next that is level. Next yeah, level. Yeah. I'm I'm going to the next level. Yeah. yeah. Can yeah. we do a, gr- a brief uh, run through on yeah. grind size and its use? Yeah. So definitely. Fine. I mean, like powder fine is Turkish, you know, like a lot of, but I don't, I've never really, I've never made one. Um, And that could just dissolve into the water. It'll really just dissolve. Exactly. But like fine espresso, you know, like um, medium would be uh, any filter, like machines, if you will, in course um, for French press and cold brew. So that's, um, there's, there's other, um, in between, there's other grind settings where you can sort of like uh, use those for different brewing methods. But the most popular ones would say, you know, you'd have your espresso filter and then you have your French press slash cold brew, which is always a much coarser grind. And you want it to be that way because if you can imagine, uh, let, let's talk about a French press, the filter, the mesh filter. If you don't have a, a coarser grind, you're gonna have sediment, and mm-hmm. I mean, you still have a little bit of that, which people love. That's why they love it. Like you can have more of that 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 bite Great. and that chalkiness come through, but you definitely don't want too much of it because it could end up being bitter if it's a little bit of a darker roast uh, or lacking body and and and, and real sort of the, the discernible flavors in a, in a lighter roast. But um, but definitely, you don't want to be sipping through like little you know chunks of coffee like yeah. that's not nobody wants that so it, it you it kind of avoids that especially with a nicer french press and then with cold brew it's it's just kind of the way it is it's a requirement to have it coarser to could you um, do whole you bean know. for a cold brew ever you know um uh, no because you have to brew really, for like a year yeah like it would take a or long actually time. it wouldn't even like but would it um penetrate the it you'll you'll so you you it might impart some flavors if it that's that is if you're as an example if you're only using whole bean um it could impart some flavors, but it's really just going to get your coffee wet and not do do much I to it. It's worth a shot. But, I'd try it, But Danny. try it. You, you <laughs> yeah, should try it. That, yeah, I mean, let us you, know. <laughs> if you get good results, let us yeah. know. You could you could be ushering the fourth wave of coffee. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you could be doing it. So that's, but I'll say this. In, in brewing, in beer brewing, I've we've worked with breweries that will basically make a coffee beer and then they will basically dry hop it with whole bean coffee. You know, so like, so um, kind and, of restrict and, and, the amount of flavor that goes through. Absolutely. So then they don't. So it's not as like coffee y, but it has the aroma. So that that in doing it that way, it doesn't part aroma, but it's not so much in the in the final result. So then they just basically measure, like maybe I had less 
liquid or less ground coffee in a filter bag. And then for aroma, they dry hop it with whole bean coffee. So hmm. that's that's something, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different methods. That's one method I've seen with whole bean coffee going in, but... Okay. Yeah. I realize that I'm in the perfect company to ask about the sensation of the espresso martini, mm. the crossover between Danny and Xavier. Yeah. <laughs> what, how is that made? Is that just with a, sh- how is it made, I guess? We use cold brew uh, that okay. we do in-house. Okay. But I'm just, disclaimer, I'm yeah. not a huge proponent of combining caffeine and alcohol. Yeah. Now they're, yeah, same depressant for me. Same and for me. A, yeah. It's just really bad for your, for your heart. Yeah, like the vodka Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, that's the exactly. new vodka Red Bull. Yeah, it's just yeah, but people love it. I'm not here to yuck anyone's yums, um, <laughs> but it's just not my it's not my thing. Oh, but you boy. sell a hell of a lot of them. We right? sell a lot of them. People, yes. yeah, and it, what? Why are they so popular right now? Um, it's kind of come in waves. It started in Europe a while ago, and then came, and then didn't really have a lot of traction, and then it came again, and mm-hmm. then for whatever reason, this time around, people were like all about it. <laughs> With the, with the most recent advent, have you seen an uptick in um, bar accounts? You know, some. We have a couple of bar accounts, but it, it's uh, it's it's interesting because we we know that there's opportunities there because there not everyone wants to have a, a an alcoholic drink, so like having a coffee beverage makes sense. And we have our our canned cold brew, which I'm sorry I didn't bring any, but I will come back and bring some. I'll drop it off your office um, for you guys to have. But yeah, I mean it 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 definitely makes sense for us to be uh, pursuing those type of relationships because you know like we have some places like Longman and Eagles, an example, buys our cold brew. Um, we have. Um, um parsons you know so we sell to them land and sea like all of all the restaurants we we have our whole bean and cop a cold brew coffee and we're actually rolling out with a nitro version in a couple of weeks which that's cool and think that you know optically for some people they need to have a drink you know like but perhaps for them it's not they don't want alcohol but caffeine Mm -hmm. is something they want so that that is uh it's just a good product i think for bars to have and we in all honesty, haven't really done a good job in pursuing as many places, but I think we, especially now that we're talking about it, yeah. I think we'll, Next we'll definitely try to do that. Yeah, because it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. real quick, what is what is nitro brew? Because I've had it, and I'm like, to me, I'm like, whole. That's like turbo coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's was it's, that just a placebo effect, or what? I what's think the it's process placebo. like? Placebo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just the, because you're they're infusing it with nitrogen. You can yeah, probably just getting aerated. More. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So that bring out the flavors, the yeah, it's a textural thing. Textural, yeah. Okay, silkier, smoother, and you get the foam. Sweeter for a lot of people, they feel like it's sweeter, Um, but definitely the texture. And you see it cascading in a glass. Like a Guinness, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so we have that coming out, and we have a a single origin um, version. So we'll have three different canned products, and then eventually we'll work on a. On an oat-based one is what we're really excited about. So, How long yeah. do you brew your cold brew? We use actually a co-packer, so they're they're doing our cold brewing. However, um, I'm gonna, I'd love to segue for thirty seconds about our new spot that's oh, yeah. down the street in Avondale. So we we have a whole like we have like a micro brewing operation, if you will, and so um, or rather we have the tanks that we are. Um, setting up in our new location, which is 3110 North Kedzie. And so that's going to be our new headquarters, uh, hopefully by the end of the year. 
And in but you'll still space, have the shop on Fulton. We're gonna keep Fulton. Okay, good. No, we'll keep Fulton, but we're gonna open our. We're gonna have our headquarters here, and uh, we are opening basically an all-day cafe restaurant. We're gonna have a wine program, so we're getting a liquor license, and uh, we're gonna have a brewing in-house brewing program. So we will start doing some more experimental coffee brewing there. Cool. So like we really just like we have the tanks, we have the ability to just really explore flavor. Yeah. in that location because we'll have literally like a tiny sort of like brewery within our restaurant within our cafe within our roastery and um it's a it's a and also has a patio too so we'll have a, a outdoor patio uh about you know nine thousand plus square feet of space in a wow. in a in a in a boat truss like barrel roof space with beautiful skylights hundred year old building um and we yeah, we built that one bag at a time. That's yeah, awesome. That's, uh, yeah, literally, it just got an SBA loan, and I got to give big ups to Darko, my partner, because he's managing the entire project on his back and dealing with a lot of different personalities. But he's building it, and uh, yeah, that's uh, it's hopefully the end of the year. We'll, we're gonna throw a party. Love to have you guys there. That'd be cool. Consider oh, this my yeah. RSVP. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Bronca USA. Question, Danny. What's your question, Tim? <laughs> My question is, how would you categorize Fernet Bronca? I would consider it an after-dinner drink or a digestive. It is an Amaro, so Amaro just means a bittersweet herbal Italian liqueur. Okay, and in, so you would use it, you would drink it after a meal? I would drink it after a meal, uh, one that is either you know, particularly heavy, rich, to help aid in digestion, or just because I think after a meal, it, it helps cap things off to have something that's like a little bitter, a little sweet. So it, uh, yeah, so it sparks digestion, you're saying? I so, think so. It's so if you have an upset tummy, yeah. you're reaching for the Fernet. It's the digestion Kickstarter. Okay, yeah, yeah. all right. I don't know that I've ever used it in that way, but I will now that I know. Yeah, how do you usually use it? Shoot, ripping shots, man. <laughs> Multiple shots back to back. Yeah. You know, beer and a shot. Love that. I think that's uh, it's one of the options at um, Sporties. For yeah. low life, you get a high life and you get a shot of either bourbon or uh, Fernet, right? Yeah, it's the industry handshake. Yeah. All right. All right, cool. Cheers. Cheers. Xavier, yes. What is your death row meal? My what? My death, death row meal. Last meal. What are you going? Oh out man! On it? All right. How would you design it? <laughs> wow. Okay. Shit. I love food. You know. So I don't. I. I'll say the first thing that's come into mind would be. So my wife's from New Orleans, and she makes a killer gumbo. So I would say, mm. like, the gumbo. like I How mean, often does she make it right Not now. as often as we'd like, but also <laughs> takes a lot of work. I mean, it's, she can do it uh, almost, I don't want to say effortlessly, because it does take a lot of effort. But it's just, we're, yeah, like, you're... You're, I'm, I feel like I'm in another dimension when I eat food like that. It just, wow. it, it's so it is beautiful. such a comfort food. It is comfort mm. food, and I love it. She's an amazing chef, um, cook, um, human, and so like any, and I would just about anything she cooks is amazing. But that that one gumbo is, pff, 
Awesome, dude. Awesome. Mm, yeah. Jealous. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be at this launch party, right? Oh, we could. Yeah, maybe. Actually, awesome. that would be cool. She's yeah. like working for weeks in the VIP room. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Just one bowl for Tim. We we'd all have to stay away from each other for a week after though, because it's uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's too much. It's yeah, uh, it's you, delicious. You may have already answered this, but how do you take your coffee? Black. Black. Oh, okay. Yeah. Always black. Yeah. And no. here's a, here's another question that I didn't have planned, but what is the ideal shelf life of a bag of coffee? Because I buy the five pound bag. Yeah. It lasts me about a month. But like I said, I just switched over to cold yeah. brew. So I've got my whole bean that's sitting in the cabinet. And I'm like, at what point am I not going to want to yeah. drink this? So I'll say this, like, you know, historically roasters will tell people like two weeks, three weeks, a month, you know, like I've tasted coffee that's, you know, as long as it's properly sealed and kept like not in sort sunlight of any, or, in the sunlight or anything where it's, it's warm or warmer environment, it'll be, it'll be just fine. It'll be delicious. And it may fade a little bit. It may not be exactly sort of at its optimum sort of flavor, the peak flavor, but that's, that can be okay. I, I, I would recommend if you're buying larger sort of bags is that if you're not going through it as, you know, as fast as you need to stick it in the freezer. Mm, and that okay. used to be the thing that people would say, don't ever stick it in the freezer. And guess what? Now people are saying, stick it in the freezer. So <laughs> I would say like, take out what you need, stick the rest back in the freezer. And that, that's, that's going to preserve call. the coffee. Yeah. If you have the freezer space. If you have yeah. the freezer space. Yeah. yeah. All right. What is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Here in Chicago or anywhere? Could be anywhere. 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 Um, Last one was in Paris or Melbourne, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Man. Yeah, Ooh la la. Um, <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's good for them. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to drop some Honduras or Ecuador places. On yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll give you one. So in Colombia, there's a place <laughs> yeah, there called Elena Adentro, which means Elena inside. And the owners are, a, it's a Colombian chef, and then his his girlfriend partner she's like from copenhagen and she they they were chefs in like fine dining places and they uh moved there in, in this little village um and it's so unassuming you don't you wouldn't know it's a restaurant and you walk in and it's just like another world and it's like the dopest food really good coffee and service and that for me was like holy shit that's amazing oh but Sorry, the sec. Here's the second one, to kind of in, in tandem, and I'll, I'll keep it short. I was in Oaxaca in 2019 with Darko, and we went to uh, got a hotel in this small little village, and we went to this roadside pub, and we started drinking mezcal, and we opened a bottle, we're drinking, and um, the man, the barkeep, went away, and then probably about half hour into it we're all sitting in the table you know there's about a dozen of us and i see a, a young child boy and he's wearing a bow tie and he's got a button up and i'm like man i'm not that drunk like i literally just saw this kid <laughs> with a bow tie going into the this back room and as it turns out that evening we had an amikasi dinner in the mid in the, in the sort of the side of the mountain this pub and the guy was a fine dining chef in mexico city and he moved back to his village cool. and he made a 12 course meal that, and we just had stuff from the mountain he's like oh this is from this side of the mountain that's from that village this is from here he like foraged harvested like everything that was on each plate were things like the cow he's like he's like oh yeah i've slaughtered this animal we did this thing i did that and it was 
fucking unreal Whoa, because it was fun guys. But oh and it's like we're, there's like literally <laughs> gravel. Like, it's, it's like dirt. There's dirt and <laughs> oh like wood, Is it like there? table. And then you're having this while we're drinking mezcal, and that that was like otherworldly. I, like I will 90% never. Ninety percent sure it wasn't yeah. a hallucination. I well, I don't know. Let me. I'll get back to you. Let me ask the people I was with if if they have a, a different story than than yeah. But I would say those were hidden. Gem- like you'll. Ne- I don't think I'll ever find it again. Yeah, yeah, but anyways, oh those places were hidden gems. Sounds sure. I almost yeah. hate to ask this yeah. one now, but yeah. what's your favorite fast food? <laughs> oh, no, 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 totally. I mean, I've been doing Taco Bell lately. Yeah, like, what's with the my order? Kids. Oh, chili cheese burrito. Oh, man. Yeah, I've been been trying to not do that. As The older I get, I'm just getting old and fat, so I'm like, all right, I got to <laughs> stop doing this fast food stuff. But, like, yeah, I've been really, like... I've just been tapering it off. Now I'm not getting five chili cheese burritos. I'm getting one. So, and <laughs> so it's go. a guilty pleasure, but I love it. Yeah. What hot sauce yeah. are you putting on there? Oh, I just do the fire. Or right, I just fire. do however hot I can do spicy. Diablo is as high Diablo, yeah. Right? That one too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. What's your favorite cocktail? Ooh, man. I will say, like, man, I think going back to New Orleans, the Sazerac's have been really, like, yeah, something for me. One. Like, just, yeah, like... I, we, we celebrated it, well, a couple of years ago. We had our 10th year anniversary and just kind of were eating our way through New Orleans and going to really beautiful spaces. And uh, among them, we'd go to cocktail bars. And what, when in Rome, you do what you do. And, you know, we'll have a, a Sastrak. And, and I'm just, like, really fond of that drink because of those memories. So I yeah. would say, like, that's, that's one I really enjoy. It's a great one. Yeah. Follow-up question, Danny? Yeah. No follow-up. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what unexpected trivia category might you dominate? Mm. So nothing coffee uh, related. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's say, let's see, let's see. Um, if we talk about 90s grunge. Okay. There you <laughs> Danny, do you consider yourself a grunger? I, I do not. Okay. Then, yeah, then, I, won't pick yeah, I don't brain. blame you guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a good answer though. Yeah. Um, we, I feel like we touched on to what do you attribute your success, but if you could sum it up in a sentence, what, what would you say? Oh, boy. Um, definitely being consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so that's, I would say, last, last you know, 14, 15 years is just being consistent, um, doing my best to check the ego at the door, exercising humbleness, hospitality, and grace. Um, and then today, by today, I mean like within this last, uh, this particular season I'm in, it's um, basically applying all of those, but also not being afraid to be vulnerable and to really just uh, allow myself to, to feel. Because I've been, um, I will say historically, and in my however many years just dealing with a lot of trauma and dealing with things that I think it's a part of the human condition we all go through it but I suppressed it and I completely just said that's not me that's not what what's happening whereas now I'm becoming more aware of the pain I'm aware of 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 the hurt and the trauma and um, not to sound so doom and gloom in the end (laughs) year but 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 the beauty of that is that it's allowing me to 
sort of break down to the point where I can sort of rebuild myself and have a different lens to look at life, you know? So I am approaching, well, my attempt daily and my resolve is to approach not just my relationship with my spouse, but with my children, with my friends, with my customers, with everyone in a way that, um, uh, you know, just in the in, in the way that allows them and hopefully myself to feel more connected. And so that feels invigorating that that makes me feel alive and um i'm really enjoying the process although i will say like it, it's a painful journey to like tap into things that are not um you know like i, I don't know like good or, yeah, or not, whatever not they're not pleasant you know they're not pleasant to think about but i i <clears throat> encourage anyone listening or anyone i'm with it's just like it's it's really good to be transparent with yourself and and i and i started thinking about transparency with our own company and how how important that is to me, but I, it's not important to me, right? It's important to me for my business, but it hasn't been important for me to apply to myself mm, yeah. because I've just been opaque. I've been like kind of sh- shut down and, uh, and you know, so I've been, a, I've been working on that and it's been good. It's been heavy, but good. So yeah. Yeah. Introspection yeah. is very important because it never goes away. It's always there. Right. right. <laughs> and so I, you got to face it yes, one way or another yeah, or it'll find to, a way to come out. hundred percent. I was totally. lying to myself for ages and there's parts of me that still do, but I'm willing to admit it. And it's something that's a new step yeah, for me. So it's, it's about awareness. Of, yeah, yeah. Awareness. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Last three yeah. questions. What is something that you wish the general public knew about Starbucks? Ooh, man, I worked at Starbucks. That was my first coffee job, you know, like, um, yeah, I would, I will, I will say this, that I think that were it not for that company, specialty coffee and companies like us, as we know, it wouldn't be able to exist in this version, perhaps a different version, but like they literally like, like revolutionized the whole idea of going into a place and you paying for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Like that shit didn't really exist that much. I mean, you have companies like Pete's that kind of have that going on, but Starbucks really made that worldwide where people like, like Starbucks as a company in Seattle and Pike place where they're at, they, they were just a little neighborhood shop and you would go in with a paper bag and you fill up the bin and weigh it and go, you know, so you would buy a whole bean coffee and then, you know, when Howard Schultz came to the picture, he just like, hey, we, I went to Italy and the people were, they, they, you can buy a cup and go. We should do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and guess what? That's the norm today. People, you, you cannot, could you imagine a world that, that doesn't exist that you go somewhere and you're just like, wait, what do you mean? You walk in there and they give you coffee and you walk out? <laughs> <laughs> already brewed like in a that's cup crazy. that's crazy like that doesn't so i would say like they really like that that was i would say that you know ushered by by starbucks but um yeah I, that's something i would want people to know so that's yeah nicely put yeah uh what is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you um what annoys me is when i walk in or anybody i'm with and, you know, we are in the Midwest. So let's talk about the Midwest, right? There's the Midwest hospitality. We're a hospitality group. We're this, we're that. And then you walk in and, and people just sort of, they're really short with you or they kind of don't have the patience to really invite you into their space and be their guest. And it's just sort of like they, it's, I don't know, like it, things feel 
short and transactional and it is a transactional mm-hmm. experience i'm not negating that but i just really like it bothers me when it, things are just sort of like i don't know like what do you want uh yeah uh, what do you recommend um i don't know what you like um I, well i don't know what do you what's good here and it's like everything cool you know that's 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 <laughs> this goes back to chef Juan Kim. Yeah, yeah yeah everything's good okay then yeah. i'll take everything i'll take one of a you know i don't know so that that kind yeah. of you don't yeah you don't want to feel like you're trespassing yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You're kind of like walking in defensive, like uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. All right. And then here's our last question: What is the best thing about Chicago's dining scene? Oh boy, I'll tell you that I've, well, I've never been to France, so ooh la la. I've never been out there. Oh yeah, but you know, like I, I'll say that I've traveled throughout Central America and East Africa and and, and South America. I've been to a lot of amazing restaurants, like among them Central, which is in Lima amazing experience but i'll say that here in chicago uh and and especially if we're talking in the united states like we we have literally the best restaurant scene i think in my opinion uh and like food and drink and we are so lucky because there's we are among really creative really talented really fucking like just uh, like they're they're just revolutionary you know like i i really like I'm really lucky to know some of these people by name. I'm lucky that we get to sell them coffee. And and above all, a lot of them are really humble. Like they're mm-hmm. really, they, they're not the person that, they're, they don't do the things that annoy me about the kind of places I have gone to. They are just really like, they look at you in the eye like, hey, come on in. They'll find a seat for you. You know, like they'll like, hey, we should try this. Or they come out of the kitchen with something they just popped in the oven. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. we just try this. Like, that is awesome. I'll say, like, as an example, my, my wife does some work at Supercana, and she's sort of intermittently there. But, like, the chefs there are amazing. That restaurant is awesome and just so creative. And not not even just the creativity and the food, but it's also the hospitality, the service, the staff. Everything is so on point, and I see that here in Chicago. Whereas, like, I travel other places, and it, it wants to be Chicago, but it's just not. I don't know. Like, they're they're stuck in some other, either I don't know, some other wavelength, you know. Whereas, like, here's really it feels intentional. It feels like there's a purpose and there's a mission, and it's palpable. So that's that's. Uh, that was a long ass answer. Sorry. No, <laughs> like, no. I mean, but it's really, we really I are spoiled, it. but we yeah, don't we take it for re- granted. So, I mean, dude, I mean, we, yes, we are, we got some real amazing places here. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that was the last question. So that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you Thanks guys for so much. being here. Thank you. And that concludes our conversation with Xavier Alexander of Metric Coffee. Thanks for listening. And remember to check us out on social media at Joiners Pod on Instagram for additional content. This episode was produced by Matt and Teo Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and reels by the one and only Goosemeister. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.